Happy Tuesday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Anthony Resnick directing behind the scenes. Chris Murray. I'm Brian Samudio. A busy show to get to today. But first off, Chris, is there a Mario Kart competition going on this morning at the Murray household? No, there's actually a new game that he discovered yesterday. My son, uh, five-year-old Dominic. Uh, it's called Hole.io. So you basically act like a hole in a street and you gobble up humans, cars, buildings. The bigger you get, you can battle other holes. So uh, he's finding things to do during the pandemic, but uh, I think we're going to take a lake uh, trip tomorrow morning. We haven't been up to Lake Tahoe at all during the summer, so uh, we've tried to be as conscious as possible not to get around people, but we feel like a weekday uh, might be able to get them one lake trip before school starts in a, a week or two. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of that. You know, uh, my, my afternoon drive, just to get out of the house, if I go for a walk or go for a drive, I try to go to Bird Eye. I love driving through that that beautiful little town. And you see so many people really taking advantage late summer, anticipating maybe kids going back to school or anticipating being teachers again in the fall in their homes. Uh, and you see a lot of people parking off the side of the road and taking advantage of the river. So uh, where's your spot? Do you, I mean, I don't want to give away any secrets because we get yelled at, we get yelled at every time we, get, we do an exploring our backyard here. Because people oh, don't give away the secrets. But do you have a spot that you, you prefer when you go to Tahoe? Well, that is funny. People are losing their mind whenever we post like this little story about a cool place to go in town. And I get it. Like you want your own secluded own area, but um, you know, it, we're just trying to point out cool places for people to go. It's not the end of the world. If you have to share your spot with somebody down the road. Um, you know, when we go to the, the, the river, we do like Crystal Peak Park over there in Verdi, which I know you got some complaints about when you pointed that one out a, a yep. month or two ago. Um, so yeah, that, that's a cool little place to be able to kind of picnic. You have some grass here, you have some uh, tree coverage, and then you're right there on the river as well. So uh, that's a nice little place. I mean, Winfield Park is great. Uh, so we like to go down there as well. But yeah, we haven't gone out too, too much in terms of the river or the lakes uh, this summer, just trying to follow the rules. But uh, I am going to let the kids go out tomorrow and have a little bit of fun before they have to hit the books. Again. One thing, before we get into the show, and we've got a ton to talk about, so they get to that in a second. What I have noticed, and I noticed it last night, is how much more tan my left arm is than my right arm, because I've got it hanging out the window when I'm driving. You know, I, I could just, it's crazy. I'm like a trucker or something, you know, my, my farmer's tan on my left arm. But uh, uh, ESPN has come out with their um, college basketball rankings when it comes to prospects for the NBA. We'll tell you where Jalen Harris has landed in there. Mailbag extra. Mailbag is always a lot of fun to talk about, but we've got an extra question for today. And according to a report, there's a college football team, and it's not a major team at all, but it is a college football team. Three-quarters of the team says they don't want to play football this year. So we'll, uh, we'll discuss that as well. But uh, start this off, and this has been a lot of fun, is we love rankings. And, uh, Chris, you've been putting together your top 25 most important Wolfpack football players. Now, this young man who – is a very strong, very driven, tested in his life. Young men would probably think that he should be top 10. And I think there's an argument for that. Burdell Robbins, defensive back, comes in at number 19. What were your, uh, what were your thoughts on putting him there? Yeah, well, I hope everybody thinks they should be number one uh, on the list. You have to have confidence. You have to believe that you're the most important piece of the team and that you're really going to help the team. Uh, in terms of Burdell, I mean, he's a guy who hasn't really grabbed a starting role in his first three years in Nevada. He's only started four games. But in those games, he has three interceptions, uh, which leads the team. He's the only player on the team with more than one interception in his career. So he's a guy, when he's gotten onto the field, he's made some big plays. He had a huge interception against Oregon State in 2018. 
And then he started back-to-back games against Utah State and Wyoming last year because Daniel Brown was out with a concussion, and he had interceptions in both of those games. So um, not a big guy, obviously, five foot nine, 180 pounds. So you, you'd like to see uh, a little bit bigger cornerback to go against some of these big wide receivers in the Mountain West. But he's a guy, like you said, who is very, very tough. He's very, very physical at the line of scrimmage and uh, at the point of contact with the ball coming in. Um, you know, he doesn't mind making tackles in the run game as well. And when you look at Nevada's roster, they do have E.J. Muhammad, uh, a returning starting quarterback, uh, quarterback on one side. He's a guy who's getting a six-year of eligibility because he missed a year with a shoulder surgery. Um, but the other side, uh, completely wide open. And I think Verdell is going to be the one most likely to go down and lock that position down. He's a senior. He has played in 29 games, albeit with only four starts. And uh, as I mentioned, he's been able to show that he can make big plays in the secondary. I think the biggest thing is just consistency uh, and making sure that his size is not used against him uh, if he's out there on an everyday kind of role. So, uh, yeah, he's a guy who I, I know, uh, you know, just beyond on the field, he's also a leader in the locker room as well. So I think that's really important when you look at most important players on the team. Um, you know, he can really rally the troops. As you mentioned, he's been through a lot. Uh, you know, he's had family members, uh, you know, killed in the streets of Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, he was our athlete of the month earlier this summer for feeding homeless people in L.A. So a good kid as well. Uh, and now he'll get a chance to go out there and really, you know, be a full-time starter as a senior. What do you think it is about a defensive back, especially playing corner? I mean, a safety safety can be somebody who's who's just more of a hitter, especially if you're that that deep center fielder. What kind of an instinct do you have to have? I mean, you have to have a thick skin. I, there's no way I could ever play corner. One, I was never fast enough. But two, you get burned so much. It's almost like being a baseball player, being a hitter, that if you succeed 30% of the time, you're a Hall of Famer. You know, you look at guys like Richard Sherman and Deion Sanders – uh, Patrick Peterson, people who are that island that can be that sort of guy. What does it take to be a good corner? Yeah, I think it is the mindset thing. You'll see a lot of head coaches compare cornerbacks to kind of like closers in baseball because you're not going to be perfect. You are going to blow a save. You're going to give up a, a deep ball or a touchdown. And uh, the key is making sure that you don't do that another time in a game, that you're able to switch your mental attitude and have enough confidence in yourself that the next play is going to be the one that you make and not the one that you give up. And I think Burdell has that confidence and that self-belief. I think that's what's made him a FBS uh, football player despite only being five foot nine and 180 pounds it's not like he had a ton of offers coming out of high school but Nevada believed in him uh, and he has shown like we've said that when he gets on the field he can make some plays so um, you know I think you just need that mentality that you're going to win every single play even if you lose two or three in a row you're going to win that next play and, and Burdell certainly has that he has a chip on his shoulder he has a belief in himself uh, now he has to go out there and prove that he can do it consistently and I think that's Jay Norvell's big word for a lot of these uh, questionable positions, linebacker, defensive back, uh, backups, outside wide receiver, offensive line. He saw some good things out of all of those position groups last year, but he didn't see enough consistency for those position groups to be above average long term. So, um, you know, I think the consistency will be the big thing for Burdell because he's shown in spurts he can make plays. But can you trust him over 60, 70 plays? I mean, Nevada uh, gave up 31 passing touchdowns last year. That was the fourth, uh, fifth worst in the FBS. Uh, ranked 100th out of 130 FBS teams in pass uh, defense efficiency. So the secondary did not play well last year, and a lot of these guys were young, and now they'll have that year of experience, and hopefully they do come back better and more consistent in 2020. Yeah, you transition right into my last question for the segment is, how good do you think this secondary can be? I mean, we talk about the guys on the outside. Tyson Williams does come back, a uh, young man who's who's really matured over the last couple of years uh, out of Dothan, Alabama, same same uh, town as uh, the great Malik Reed, who's now with the Denver Broncos. How good do you think this secondary can be? 
I, I don't think it's going to be like this above average group, but I do think it can take, take a step forward from last year. I think safety was this huge position that Nevada was kind of tinkering with last year. You saw so many players start at safety. You saw Austin Arnold. You saw Tyson Williams. You saw Jordan Lee. Uh, you saw Amani Johnson. You saw Dalen Johnson. You saw Marquette Jackson. They couldn't settle on two or three guys that they could just trust in that back end and say, these are our guys moving forward. I think Tyson Williams is a very, very good uh, free safety, the strong safety position was a little bit more of a question mark. And Austin Arnold, uh, you know, will get the chance to earn that because he was the starter last year. But um, I think there are still a lot of question marks in the secondary. And it's really going to come up to the defensive line to get a consistent pass rush on the quarterback to really help out that group. I still think Nevada's strength is going to be in the front four. They're clearly playing a different scheme this year last year they were playing a five defensive back scheme this year it'll be a more traditional four defensive back scheme so um you know we'll see I, I don't think it's going to be a group where you're going to point to you know the the days of Brock Marion being out there where you know they were an elite group even you go back a couple of years ago when Asani Rufus and Damian Baber were seniors yeah. in that 2017 season um you know 2018 season th those were stronger groups and I think Nevada is going to enter this year with um, but maybe they come out and surprise because, like you said, I mean, all of the people in the secondary basically returned from last year and have that experience. So, you know, that's not a, an excuse this year that, you know, this is their first year. They're going through lumps. They're trying to figure things out. They've had that. And now the expectation from Coach Norvell is that they are going to be a lot better this season. Yeah, I, that's something that's getting buried this offseason uh, by our new friend COVID. And uh, amongst other things is that the the three three five stack defense of Jeff Castile is gone. I mean, they're installing a brand new defense. It is uh, not new to these kids, but it's just new to the program again after going after Jeff Castile's departure and uh, the hiring of a brand new defensive coordinator. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Jalen Harris. Where does he rank when it comes to the ESPN's prospects? And there's a mailbag question. We may even have a second mailbag question extra today. Does Chris think that Jalen may change his mind and come back to the University of Nevada? That was asked. Well. Address that next. As I keep saying, we love rankings. I mean, it's something for us to talk about when uh, we kind of have sports back a little bit. It's just different. But uh, ESPN, of course, uh, the worldwide leader, as they call themselves, uh, comes out with their college rankings. And, uh, you know, it's traditionally, Chris, Power Five conferences always get the love. But uh, I think Jalen Harris should have been higher than this. Uh, but ESPN ranks him number 76 prospect overall, uh, not even the highest in the Mount West Conference. But uh, what, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so yesterday was the deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft. If you wanted to return to school, obviously Jalen Harris announced uh, earlier this summer he wasn't going to do that. So he did stay in. Um, and there were four Mountain West players on ESPN's latest top 100 big board, uh, which they released this morning after that deadline. Uh, like you said, Jalen Harris, 76. There are 60 picks in the draft. So, uh, you know, by those rankings, he wouldn't be selected. But I would note that Cody Martin was in the 70s uh, at this time last year as well. And he ended up being a, an early second round draft pick. So these are just guesses by ESPN's personnel. They obviously do a good job of researching it. But, uh, you know, you just got to make one team fall in love. So, uh, yeah, four players from the Mountain West. Malachi Flynn, the Mountain West Player of the Year from San Diego State. Uh, number 38 overall, uh, Sam Merrill, the Mountain West Player of the Year two years ago from Utah State, number 61 on the list. And then Justinian Jessup from Boise State was number 81 on the list. So, um, you know, I've, I've said it all along. I think Jalen is an NBA player. I think he yeah. is good enough to play in that league in a rotation. I think he's as good as the Martin Twins are. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, he doesn't have as much pub because he didn't play for NCAA tournament teams. He didn't make a sweet 16 run. 
you know, he didn't begin his career at North Carolina State as a top 75 recruit out of high school. You know, Jalen Harris was a late bloomer. He was a three-star recruit. He went to Louisiana Tech uh, and then only had one year at Nevada where he was spectacular. But the team overall was more an NIT caliber team rather than a top 25 team like the Martin Twins played. So uh, he's not going to have that opportunity to go around and, and work out for NBA teams. And uh, hopefully he does get a chance at the NBA Combine. He did make that initial list, but it's still undetermined whether they're even going to have a combine. And if they do, is it going to be virtual or in person? So he's got some ground to make up for sure. The draft isn't until October. Um, it's just how does he make up that ground if he can't get in front of NBA teams and personnel and scouts and general managers and show what he showed all of Northern Nevada, that this guy can score the basketball, that he can play as a point guard as well, that he can be a versatile defender, that he's explosive, that he's clutch, um, that he did all these great things last year. Um, just maybe didn't do it in, in front of as many scouts as uh, the Martin Twins did because of uh, kind of the profile of the team more than anything else. That's my thing is that he can do everything. And he's a big guard. He's a smart mm -hmm. player. He's not afraid of the moment. That's why I thought he should have been ranked higher. But, I mean, that's just – that's uh, that's a, a non-Power 5 market talking about, you know, ESPN who doesn't doesn't always give a ton of love to, to schools that are west of the Mississippi. Uh, we've already answered the question that I posed before the, uh, before the break is that he's not coming back. He can't come back. The, the, the deadline is gone. But even if I'd asked you this a week ago, you've been in very close contact with his father. We knew he wasn't going to make that decision. He, he was set to go. Yeah. And it's a tough decision because we don't even know if there's going to be a college basketball season this year or if there's going to be one, is it going to be conference only? So he had to make this decision with so many uncertainties of whether he came back, what was he even coming back to? Uh, like if he knew he was coming back and he'd have a full 30 games and uh, he'd have a chance to play into an NCAA tournament, like we don't even know if scouts will be able to go to games this year. So what is necessarily the point of coming back if you can't play in front of scouts because arenas are locked to them. So it's just a very difficult decision for everybody involved in this situation um, if they are fringe draft picks. And there are some mocks that have Jalen Harris uh, as a second rounder. Uh, you know, Matt Babcock, who we talked to earlier this summer, loves him and has him as an early uh, second rounder. So, um, you know, maybe a team does fall in love with him or maybe he has to go to the G League or start overseas and try and work his way up. So I think it was just a difficult decision. I don't think uh, you can really chagrin his decision. I probably would have come back if it was a perfect scenario, but it's clearly not a perfect scenario um, just because he's not locked into a draft pick right now. And if you can get drafted in the second round these days, you're more or less guaranteed you're going to play in the league a couple of years because the rosters have expanded to 15 players per team when it used to be 12. Um, so just a difficult call for him. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, as Coach Alford said, he's, he's kind of done with the school aspect of things. He wants to be able to focus completely on basketball. Hopefully he does come back and eventually get his degree. He's very, very close to doing so. But, um, you know, he's taken his chance. He believes in him. And I think all of Northern Nevada is really rooting for him. I don't think uh, many Wolfpack fans have anything bad to say about Jalen Harris, given uh, how much, uh, you know, he did for the team this last year and how well he spoke of Northern Nevada and his experience playing for the Wolfpack and playing at Lawler Event Center. Yeah, I haven't received that kickback uh, that I, I remember getting phone calls because back then it wasn't people, you know, on social media when Kirk Snyder left early, um, when Armand Johnson left early, when Luke Babbitt left early, when JaVale McGee left early. Uh, I haven't received nearly the kickback when um, – like it's my fault or something, but uh, uh, everybody wants to express an opinion, but, uh, and everybody can't, we're just kind of the punching bag sometimes, but uh, yeah, I haven't seen that at all when it comes to Jalen Harris, because I think people realize, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do to make the best decision. I think the fan base is more educated because Nevada has seen more players make that, that decision opt 
to leave early because, you know, hey, I've got the chance to go play pro right now. And aside from that, even if there is no college basketball season, if Jalen wants to go play overseas and get paid for a couple of years, he can always come back. It's not like he's 30. I mean, he can turn around and come back if he wants to, or he can be paid handsomely to play overseas. We've seen dozens of Wolfpack uh, basketball players go overseas and make a ton of money, money, money doing it. Because right now, uncertainty is kind of, that's the word. I mean, we're, mm. we're at the point right now where we don't know what's going to happen in the fall. I don't know what's going to happen Saturday night. You know, uh, Governor Sisolak wasn't exactly uh, completely transparent with a lot of our pro teams. And I'll say it for Eric Edelstein, who very, very poignantly said in a tweet yesterday that, well, we don't have any more transparency. They're supposed to hold they're, – they're wanting to hold a soccer game on Saturday night, and they don't, still don't know if they can have fans. Mm-hmm. We don't know if we can have media at the game, and we're broadcasting the game. So that's kind of the position we're in as a nation is, you know, I'm watching baseball games on the weekend or hockey games on the weekend, and I see Pierre Maguire standing behind the glass, and he's by himself. I see Ken Rosenthal in the stands collecting foul balls, and he's by himself. <laughs> we just, that's the uncertainty is that we just, we just don't know at this time. But what Jalen knows is that he wants to play basketball and he wants to get paid. And I understand that you want to take care of yourself and your family. Coming up next here on NSN daily, we'll dip into a mailbag extra question. Mailbag usually comes out on Wednesday, but this one too good to pass up pretty juicy. We're going to run this one coming up next. Welcome back to NSN daily. As I said, uh, Murray's mailbag usually runs on Wednesdays. If you're not familiar with it, where you've been, um, Murray's mailbag is uh, Chris opens up the mailbag every Sunday afternoon on Twitter and uh, answers your questions. Uh, I always ask you, Chris, how long was this one? I think it was almost 5,000. There were a lot of questions. I think 40 questions in total. So uh, people had some uh, inquiries and, and we were able to get to them. Yeah, we had uh, a few gentlemen, people, uh, doesn't matter, uh, asking multiple questions. I believe it was a Thomas Green who asked at least three or four and He's not going to make the show today. He'll make the show tomorrow. But uh, uh, the one that caught my eye today that I think we're, we're going to be able to kick around, uh, T. Brand at Travisu, um, where does this year's skill positions rank all time with the Dubs, Cook, Tawa, Lee combo? He's, a, he's asking for top 10 in pack history. I'm not going to make you say the top 10, but uh, where do you think this one stands and uh, what other ones stand out for you? Yeah, I wouldn't put a top 10 yet. I think they have to go out there and prove it. I am very high in this group of skill position players. I did say that they had the best skill uh, position players returning uh, from last year in the Mountain West, and I think some Boise State fans were not very happy about that. But you look at it up and down that skill position, and there is a lot of talent there. I think you look at Elijah Cook and Romeo Dubs, I think they could play at the top end of the Pac-12 and could potentially be NFL players. You look at Toa Tawa, he was one of the highest-rated recruits Nevada's ever landed. Uh, he had multiple Power 5 offers, and, you know, in his first two seasons at Nevada, he's been pretty strong. And then you look at Carson Strong, six foot four, very strong on quarterback. Uh, when he was healthy as a freshman, played pretty well. So uh, you look at the group, and you can be very excited for the future, but they have to go out there and prove it still. Toa Tawa still ranked 24th out of 25 qualified running backs in the Mountain West in yards per carry last year. I think a lot of that was on the offensive line. But two years, he's never had a 1,000-yard rushing season. You look at Dubs and Cooks, uh, neither of them have ever had an 1,000-yard receiving season. You look at Carson Strong, uh, you know, he hasn't played at an all-conference level yet. So if they're able to all put it together, I think they could be top 10, but uh, at this point, I think it's a little premature to put them in that classification right now. In terms of the best group of skill position players Nevada's ever had, I go to that 2010 season. I think that's a pretty easy pick because 
You have a quarterback in Colin Kaepernick, who's the best quarterback in program history, uh, almost won a Super Bowl in the NFL. Uh, you look at the wide receivers. You have Rashard Matthews, who played in the NFL. You have Brandon Wimberly, uh, who's going to be a Wolfpack Hall of Famer. You have Trey Session, uh, who played in the NFL as well. You look at two tight ends who made it through the NFL, and Zach Sudfeld and Virgil Green. And then you have Vitawa, who's second in program history in rushing. So it's going to be uh, – that is going to be the number one group for me in terms of skill position players. Uh, ever in one year at Nevada. But, uh, I mean, the Wolfpack has, has had some dynamic groups of skill position players, even going back to the 1980s, 1990s. Yeah, I mean, for me to go back, and, and when I think about dynamic wide receiver combos, I mean, I, I'd go to Inslee and, and Noisy, and Jeff Noisy and, and Trevor Inslee. When people – well, I, I recall one of our former coworkers when I said to them, yeah, well, uh, Trevor Inslee, when he had over 2,000 yards in his season – and this person said to me, you mean 1,000 yards? And I said, no, mm -hmm. 2,000 yards. That's how much Nevada threw the football around the yard back in the day. But the trifecta to me is Colin Kaepernick, Vitawa, and Luke Lippincott. When you've got those three together, the numbers that those guys put up on the ground, it was an absolute juggernaut of offense. Um, but, yeah, I'm not going to knock this, this group right now because we may be talking in five years about – three or four of them all being still in the NFL. I mean, these are guys that have that type, that type of quality. And this wide receiver group, look out if you're the Mountain West. You know, if, if Nevada can keep Carson Strong vertical, not horizontal, um, and, and give him time to throw, and if Nevada can establish that run game, which I think they can, this wide receiver group could be downright scary. And then you look at the tight end position. I mean, we've already highlighted this young man. Henry Ika Hihifo, if he can get loose at 6'2", 6'3", 270, nobody's going to want to tackle that guy across the middle. So this is an opportunity, I think, for Matt Mummy, who's been sitting on, uh, in the offseason. Matt Mummy's done two things this offseason. He's gone fishing, and he's written up plays because he's a mad scientist about this. He's, he hasn't been what T.J. Bruce was, who built a BMX track in his backyard. I mean, that's, that's up and above. Uh, sort of level but um, yeah this is a good group of wide receivers you just need to find that leader you need to find that guy who's going to step up is it going to be Elijah Cooks is it going to be Romeo Doves because there are so many names that you're like god what if and I hate being the what if guy but what if McLean Mannix had stuck around how good would this group be I mean you're probably talking possibly one of the best wide receiver core in program history yeah, I mean, that would be a great, uh, you know, trio of guys. Uh, I think the biggest question is, will the offensive line give them a chance to play to that potential? I mean, you mentioned keeping Carson Strong uh, vertical rather than horizontal. Uh, you go back to 2010, uh, you know, we like to point out Cap and Wimberly and Richard Matthews and Virgil Green and Vitale and all those guys. Well, you have to look at the offensive line that had Joel Batonio, NFL player, that had Chris uh, Barker, NFL player, had Jeff Nady, who almost made it to the NFL, uh, had Matt Gallus, who got a tryout in the NFL as well. That offensive line was so good that it gave the guys behind them the chance to be great. And that's been the biggest issue since Coach Alt resigned in 2012. Nevada hasn't had a great offensive line. They've had a great offensive line men in Austin Corbett or Joel Batonio in 2013, but they haven't had five guys that were just this dynamic group uh, that imposed their will on the opposition and made it easy for those skill position players uh, to go out there and get a thousand yard rushing or a thousand yard passing or for Colin Kaepernick to have five, six seconds to sit back in the pocket and make plays. So uh, I really think it's going to come down to the offensive line on whether this offense 
can get to the standard that we've expected with Nevada football uh, from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010. And that's been the biggest issue with Coach Polian's era, and that's been the biggest issue with Coach Norvell's era, is they just haven't gotten that offensive line. Uh, that's one of the two or three best in the conference. And with Coach Alt, you always had either the best or second best offensive line in the conference. There were no questions about it. Uh, and the union just hasn't played to that standard of late. Now they have all five starters coming back this season. So that's the hope that they do play up to that level, that Nevada's skill position players are able to play to their potential. And then you're seeing 35 to 40 points per game, which we just have not seen uh, with Coach Norvell and Coach Mummy in their first three seasons. Yeah, I'm going to try and be optimistic there because you have all your five starters coming back. Uh, you, you've got guys losing Jake Nelson at the time that they lost him last year was absolutely brutal. And it was friendly fire. He had a, a teammate trying to help out on a block and broke his arm with a helmet. Uh, but this is a great class coming in too. And unfortunately it's tough to be a high school senior coming to make an, an impact, especially on a position where these are grown men at the offensive line job. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. like you're playing wide receiver and, and being able to run up and down the field. These are guys that are bulldozers. They're absolutely phenomenal athletes, and they're tremendous. But, but yeah, a consistency right there, it all starts up front, as Angus McClure liked to always bark around, is that it starts with the union. And, uh, yeah, if, if Nevada can get some consistent play from that offensive line, stay healthy, and, and create that depth that, that they're going to need. I mean, you need depth at every single position. But offensive line, to me, is still the one that if you can keep Carson Strong upright. Granted, 2010 – Colin Kaepernick had a dynamic of, oh, it's breaking down over here. I'm going to spin and run that way, and it's a gain of 17 yards. Mm. Carson Strong can run. I don't want him to run, um, <laughs> but he can run. You know, pe people have to – oh, he's a pocket passer. He's a pocket passer, but he's a good athlete. If you watched him at all, there were times he can run. He can get up mm. and down the field. But, uh, yeah, it's not exactly what I think Matt Mummy wants him to do in this offense. Kind of next here on NSN Daily uh, Report saying that three-quarters – of a college football team saying that they do not want to play this season because of COVID-19. Uh, we're going to break that down next. Welcome back into NSN Daily, an old uh, Wolfpack rival uh, from days past. Uh, we're hearing about 75% of the University of Idaho football team is saying they do not want to play this season because of concerns with COVID-19. This is a report uh, by uh, Brett McMurphy from uh, Stadium. That's our, our base programming. Um, per the report, a survey conducted among Idaho football players revealed that 60 of 82 players do not want to play. That's nearly 75% of the football team. Chris, I appreciate the fact that um, players are getting a chance to be honest, uh, it seems, without repercussions. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of players feel this way, to be quite honest about it. Now, most schools have allowed their players to opt out and remain on scholarship, and uh, Nevada has also taken that path. If a Wolfpack player does not feel comfortable playing this year because of an underlying condition or any other uh, reason, uh, just because of potential long-term effects, they cannot play this season and stay on scholarship. So I think teams are open to that. But uh, I think if you did have an honest conversation with a lot of these uh, college athletes, they would tell you they'd prefer not to play this year. Um, but there's always a pressure button play because you don't want to quit on your team. 
Uh, you know, you don't want to quit on your coaches and you don't know if that's going to be held against you moving forward if you end up doing that. So it's a difficult thing. Uh, Brett McMurphy did have one quote from an Idaho player who wasn't uh, given his name. And he said, I know that this will get drastically worse as the season progresses. And I know in my heart, it's not a morally correct thing to do. We feel like we have been neglected by the NCAA in terms of wealth over health. And I think you can make that argument safely that uh, these players are being used so they can create the kind of revenue necessary to keep athletic departments and programs within those athletic departments uh, open. And it's a very difficult decision. Um, I will say that Jane Norvell has said uh, that he believes that players are actually safer uh, in the football program than just in the general student population because of the protocols that they have to go through having temperature checks every single day, actually getting tested every single week, um, you know, being told that they have to wear a mask even when they're in their apartment if they are, uh, their roommate is in there. Um, think of having to wear a mask wherever you go, no matter what, rather than just when you're out in public. So uh, it's a difficult thing. And if Idaho's players say they don't want to play, I 100% uh, you know, kind of agree with that cause. I've, I've literally talked to a Wolfpack athlete not on the football team uh, and that player said to me, why are we even trying to play this year? It doesn't make any sense. And this is a player who loves their sport. So um, it, it's just a, a position where these players are being put in a position where they, they kind of feel like they do have to generate this wealth for the betterment of the entire athletic department when they're the ones taking the entirety of the risk and they're not getting paid a salary to do so like they are in the pro level. Uh, the report goes on to say that uh, Idaho has tested 125 Student-athletes in fall sports who have returned to campus so far, nine positive tests and 25 student-athletes are in quarantine. Uh, we would expect that that's because they have been uh, exposed to someone who has a positive test, whether it's on campus or back at home, something like that. Um, yeah, Jay Norvell uh, extensively earlier this week or last week uh, addressed the safety concerns with this, how, I mean, it's bizarre to hear Players leave the field, they leave in uniform, they leave with their pad, they take their pads off, they put them in a bag and they go straight home. They don't even shower there. Um, some boosters, the Revelia family is one of them, that have bought tents for them to do the testing and for players to be away from each other. I've said it before, maybe I'll sneak up there today. I want to drive by Wolfpack Park and just kind of see what's going on because they're practicing in two different sessions. You know, it's uh, you have to give them credit, I guess, that, that they're doing everything that they can to try and do it right. They are. I, I will 100% give them that. I mean, Nevada is taking the proper precautions to try and limit any positive tests and to be able to extinguish those positive tests without it spreading. I mean, they're not even doing their physician meetings in the football offices. They're doing them over Zoom, which is not the ideal way to do them. But as Coach Norvell said, if you have one offensive lineman who tests positive, and then you guys had a position meeting earlier that day with all 12 of your offensive linemen in one room, uh, all of those people could be compromised and could be positive. If you are around somebody who has a positive test for more than 15 consecutive minutes in close proximity, you have to be contact traced, you're thought to be at risk, you need to be quarantined. So they're even trying to limit that. They're not even allowing student athletes to stand on the sidelines during practice next to each other. So they are taking all of the steps necessary to make sure uh, that they limit this as much as possible, but there's only so much you can do in a sport like football. You're still banging against each other in the trenches for 100 plus plays during practice. I mean, you're still next to each other if you're the offensive line working as a five-man group to try and protect and do those kinds of drills. They've even bought in their coaches uh, little sticks that extend four feet, and then if you add the person's arm, it's six feet. They have to keep those sticks out so they don't get within six foot, uh, six feet 
of their players that they're trying to coach. So Nevada is doing everything they can. Um, but I also understand from the player's perspective, if, if they just feel like the risk is too big for the reward, at least for them individually, because they're not getting much out of it uh, in terms of pay and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, some of these programs are going to have to go through these things. And, and we'd be foolish not to think that at least a couple of teams in the FBS are just going to have their season canceled because they have an outbreak. The Marlin season is basically on fumes. The Cardinals have had six players test positive. Uh, and this is at the pro level where they're getting tested every other day rather than once a week. So it's going to be a tricky thing to navigate. But it was interesting just to see that 75% basically of Idaho scholarship players said it's not worth it this year. That's a staggeringly high amount of yeah. players at an FCS school to say not worth it. I, I try and relate it to even our work environment, Chris. I mean, we have about 120 employees at, uh, at News 4, Fox 11, and Nevada Sportsnet. Uh, the way that we're set up is we're set up in a couple of bubbles. We're set up, literally, there's three people that sit on one side in a sliding glass door room. It's myself, Alex, and used to be Julian Delgadio, who has moved on to Greener Pastures uh, in San Diego. Got to see his on-air debut, and I was really proud of him. He did a great job down there in SoCal. But I'm getting tired of his San Diego State and Padres tweets already. <laughs> it's his job, though. It's his job. And then on the other side of the fishbowl, he called it the fishbowl. That's where it's Jenna, Rez is in there a lot of the time. Um, it was Kenzie. We're still hiring that position. And Shannon Kelly. And then you're outside. You're kind of outside, but you're not outside. You're across from Kim Burroughs. You have Shaw Maud next to you. You've got they have Carson Bushos or another reporter, Zach Slopemaker. Over there. We're all sitting right next to each other. I'm not ready to go back to that. I will continue to diligently work from home. But I, I see the re – I understand it. You know, I, under, I, I truly do understand it. Uh, it does make me happy that we've put ourselves in this position because I wanted to see college football and I'm hoping it happens, but I just, I, I don't know if it's going to coming up next year on NSN daily. We just can't get away from this topic. Uh, the Denver Broncos have an interesting way of getting out onto the field because of COVID-19 and it's the decision we knew was coming from the Las Vegas Raiders about their fans. That's next. Well, it's just a sign of the times. It's just really kind of what we're dealing with is how to get through and try and keep sports alive right now. And uh, I, <laughs> Chris, you and I have been to NFL training camps, uh, whether it was the Niners, yeah. uh, the Raiders, went to Broncos camp when they had both Virgil Green and Brandon Marshall playing for them um, in Denver. But I've never seen anything like this. Uh, the Broncos, along with routine testing, mandating masks, social distancing when possible, now players have to walk through a disinfectant spray. So literally you're walking through a mister to get out onto the field. Uh, the spray is called MicroSure, and it's said to be a non-toxic disinfectant. Uh, the effectiveness of this procedure uh, is not yet known, which is kind of par for the course 2020. But uh, the Broncos front staff, the front office staff say, hey, any additional steps they can take to keep players and the season safe? is worth a try. Uh, you know what? Why not? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure somebody much smarter in terms of, uh, you know, pandemics and epidemiology uh, suggested doing that. So I think that's part of the problem. Everybody thinks they're an expert in everything. You see the comments on the Broncos tweet and they're like, this is dumb. This isn't going to do anything. It's like, well, how do you know? This is this is an area of specialty. Uh, and if somebody a doctor is telling them, well, you know, it might save a couple of cases, 
then you might as well do it. You're literally walking through a, a you know, a mister for half a second. So, um, you know, it does look a little silly. It's like you're going through a metal detector, except it's spraying this uh, stuff on you. But, uh, you know, if they can keep the season going by doing this, might as well give it a try. I don't know of any other teams that are doing it, but uh, uh, I guess it's the way to get ready. And, you know, it could be hot out there. And if the, the mist is cool, at least it gives you a little bit of refreshment for you. That was my thing. Is uh, I hope they're chilling this because that's that's what I that's what I want. And I apologize that my my computer is is opening an ad that is just pure twenty twenty once again. Um, has that become a punchline to everybody, or is it just me? I mean, I literally I'll stub my toe and go twenty twenty. That's become a punchline. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a rough year. I mean, really, ever since Kobe's uh, helicopter went down, we haven't gotten any good news and. Uh, you know, the old uh, adage that uh, whatever doesn't uh, kill you makes you stronger. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be able to hopefully look back at this year a couple of years from now and say, that was a tough time, but we all got through it by helping each other out. You know, it, it is kind of interesting. I, when I go out now, I put on my mask and I'm like thinking, am I going to have to do this for the rest of my life? Whenever I go to a grocery store, am I going to have to wear a mask? If I want to go pick up food at a restaurant, do I have to wear a mask? If I want to go to a beach, do I have to wear a mask? And, um, you know, I kind of feel bad for the younger people who didn't get to just uh, enjoy the carefree nature of summers and things like that. You know, hopefully we do get to a point uh, with vaccinations and treatments where we do get to ditch the mask a year or two from now. But it's certainly something I've personally thought about is it's just where we are for the rest of our lives is that we're masked up and we're sanitizing whenever we go into a place like uh, who knows hopefully that's not the case hopefully this is just a bad 2022 and everything from here on forward is is really positive yeah i really expected to be in a flying car somewhere and uh you know transporting to uh, halfway around the planet and being able to not have to get on a plane and to so oh, i'm transporting to you know uh, tel aviv or whatever or or you know bora bora or wherever i'm gonna go but uh uh, the Las Vegas Raiders continue their pioneering efforts uh, in this uh, difficult time. They've informed their season ticket holders they will not have fans in Allegiant Stadium this season. Uh, I expected it. Is this an example that uh, the, the rest of the NFL needs to kind of go, all right, we're going to do the same thing or no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think a lot of times it's going to come down to the individual local governments on whether they're going to allow uh, gatherings of that size. But Raiders owner Mark Davis did say uh, a few weeks ago that if uh, not everybody can attend, then nobody can attend, not even himself. He's not even going to be able to go to the games. Um, so I think he kind of drew that sand in the line that he wanted everybody to be able to experience this at Allegiant Stadium for the first year together. And since he couldn't do that, um, that he just wasn't willing to let anybody in there. So I think it's smart. I think it's a good safety precaution. Obviously, it's going to cost the Raiders uh, some money, which I'm sure is a difficult decision. But uh, as we've seen with, uh, you know, Reno 1868 FC, they don't even know if they can let people in. Uh, and they're talking about maybe 500 to 1,000 people. So, you know, an NFL stadium, you're talking about 60, 70,000, a lot more difficult. UNLV, which will play in the same stadium, has not drawn that line. They say that they are still open to potentially bringing fans into the uh, stadium for games. So not, not the perfect way to open up a first season in a brand new location in a beautiful stadium. But I do think it was the right call by the Raiders. Yeah, it's, it's weird watching sports now where you watch the NHL and there's nobody in the stands. Major League Baseball, it's virtual fans, which is I still take that as an insult with the, with the fake fan noise. And every time a pitcher throws over to first in a visiting stadium, he gets booed by fans that aren't even there. Um, NBA is taking a different route, too, where they have – I've seen some of the fans run Zoom up on the screens. I, okay, that's cool. Okay, they're actual people. The PGA Tour, and this doesn't 
apply to Old Greenwood and the Barracuda Championship, which just wrapped up. Um, in Memphis, they had a tournament this weekend that Justin Thomas won. And there's a ton of people walking around. I know it takes a lot of people to run a tournament, but being on a course where people live, I couldn't believe behind some of these homes, there's 30, 40 people gathering and watching the golf tournament. And I, I'm so torn on this, Chris. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it going, all right, constitutional rights. You know, it's your backyard, your family. You've been tested. You know you're not sick. But then what kind of an example is that being set for everybody else? I'm, I'm really torn on stuff like that. Yeah, and I think a lot of people look at it like that. Katie Ledecky, the uh, you know gold medalist Olympic swimmer, had a video yesterday where she swam the length of a pool with a glass of chocolate milk on her head. And a lot of the comments were upset with her because their pools are closed uh, in their individual cities. And they're like, what kind of example is this that you're doing this kind of stuff where I can't get in my pool? And, you know, I mean, she's trying to train for the Olympics next year. Uh, you know, she was the only one in that entire pool. Um, but I do see how people would be upset is why is there one set of rules for some people and another set of rules for other people? Maybe I wanted to go to this golf tournament and I couldn't go, but you're allowed to walk around. So, um, you know, I, I do think that everybody has to be a little bit more precautious and think about how their actions might impact or the optics of it to other people. But, uh, you know, in the case of a golf tournament, you know, if you're in your backyard, it's cool. If you're walking around the course, I think it's a little bit different because uh, that's not actually your private property and you are kind of breaking the rules of the tournament by not allowing any fans into the, uh, the course. All right, we'll be right back here to wrap things up on NSN Daily right after this. Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily. You haven't seen Alex Margulies on the show as much as usual because he's been road tripping and putting together a great uh, piece of work for us that's going to air tonight, 6 p.m. on our sister station, uh, News 4. Uh, his, his first part of road tripping through southern Utah and northern Arizona. Uh, Chris, I know a lot of people are thinking in our final minute here that Alex is out vacationing, but he's busting his butt, man. They're, they're doing some great work. Uh, he's going to play Edgewood pretty soon, so I'm not sure. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, they, they did do a ton of work, and it takes a long time to grab, uh, you know, hours of footage and turn it into these really cool 30-minute specials. Uh, his Oregon Coast special did air uh, on uh, NSN, KRNV, KRXI. Uh, it's also on our website if you want to see that, and I'm really looking forward to this one uh, down in Zion and Bryce uh, Canyon National Park as well because Rez was out there and Brian Culpa, our drone pilot, another director. So I think just some of the shots I've seen are visually exceptionally stunning, so I can't wait for what he's putting together right now. Yeah, I was going to say in our final 20 seconds here, Rez, you deserve the blue ribbon, man, for being brave enough to drive around in an RV with Alex. Um, I've driven around in a forerunner with him, and uh, sometimes <laughs> he gets a bit distracted. That'll do it for us here on NSN Daily. I'm Brian Samudio for Chris Murray and the very talented Anthony Resnick behind the scenes. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow.